actually goes. Maybe this is my new routine. Like push it as close as I can possibly. Armin calling me. Oh, angsty Armin. I'm sorry to do that to your anxiety, buddy. You usually text me if I'm, if I'm not in the studio. It's like 30 minutes before the show, you're freaking out. Today was genuinely, I'm, I'm sweaty in the chair. It's gross. It's disgusting. And I wore, I'm wearing boots. And so it, I'm old. So I'm like, I'm, I'm in pain. You're not meant to run in boots, it turns out. Anyways, who cares? Frank Cervelli. People care what he has to say. Uh, Hockey insider, president of DFO. What's up, brother? How you doing, JD? I'm good. Sweaty, but good. You know? Like, hey, I know the feeling. It's, yeah. uh, I'm one of those guys gets out of bed in the morning and sweats. Oh, so. you're just a naturally I sweaty. I See, I, I'm not this way. This is not my, this is not my normal state. I think I'm a pretty, <laughs> like, non-sweaty guy, in fact. I'm, I like, I'm a person who gets defensive when he's sweaty. It's like, oh yeah, it's never uh, happened to me before. <laughs> you know? Maybe that'll make for some good radio podcast material. We're about to, we're about to find out. All right. That's the thing. We're all on this journey together. Okay. So let's just start with this. Okay. Um, do you think that the Leafs are shopping right now? Because my first thought watching yesterday's game was, well, that's well and good having five goals from your superstars, but the rest of that lineup was PU. And mm-hmm. if you're going to try and stay alive in this race, or you're going to try and keep, I would say, in at least hopes that you can win the division or keep pace with some of these teams or have home ice, and given the parameters of this new NHL where the deadline is now a month before the deadline, <laughs> I would think that you're kind of trying to do some work at least right now. Yeah, look, are the Toronto Maple Leafs active right now? The answer to that question is yes. And... Here's the thing with such limited assets. The only way I see them really making a splash is by fulfilling multiple pieces, multiple holes with one first round pick out the door, Mm. meaning they don't have a second round pick and they're obviously hot after Chris Tanev, but because they don't have a second round pick, the ask from the flames is it's not going to go the other way to a third. It's, a first, and what else do we need to do in order to make this happen? Yeah, it looks so, like everyone's so horny for Chris Tanev, though, that I can't imagine that it even ends up settling at a second. It, it's going. I think it's still going to settle at a second, okay. and I think the Flames are are really only asking for a second, maybe with a condition that it could become a first, mm. depending on whatever happens. But is there a chance that Toronto and Calgary, instead of a Tanev Zadarov combo. Is there any chance this could become a Tanev Hannafin combo? Mm. That would sort of, I think it would change the dynamic of the Leafs in a hurry. Yeah. I think that's the kind of trade that they've always discussed moving the first four, right? Is something where you're looking at a, a real change to your blue line, not just this season, but moving forward too, the problem with that one is that there's no term on either of the guys. Mm -hmm. And I would think that it's pretty instructive for the Leafs if they were to be interested in Hannafin specifically, because at least with, you know, Tanev, there's this idea that maybe he signs a little bit cheaper to stay with the Toronto Maple Leafs. I don't know how. I think that's a little far-fetched. Like it's not going to be a, a Mark Giordano type deal. He's not that old. Well, and he also hasn't made as much money as Mark Giordano. Correct. He's not, he's not, he's, he can't just, you know, 
pass by an additional two or three million bucks per year. But what do you think the so word is? Because I was watching the Flames game the other night uh, when yeah they they won they beat the Bruins. Um, and I, I was watching during the uh, intermission and Eric Francis was saying that there's this contract on the table for Hannafin right now. And if he wants to be a flame, it's, it's available to him. It's but, eight times seven, five is okay. 60 million. So he doesn't want that in Calgary. Well, I don't imagine he wants that in Toronto. Well, we don't know for sure that he doesn't want that in Calgary. All we know is that they've, you know, the flames have been waiting at the end of the aisle and Hannafin's gotten cold feet. Hmm. And this week really I think is where the rubber meets the road. I was saying that it need they needed to get an answer by the other side of the all-star break. Hannafin was playing in his hometown of Boston this week. Obviously, some time spent with family. They're scheduled to meet Hannafin's agent and the Flames, I think today or tomorrow. And this, you know, they're they it's time to bleep or get off the pot. You're either signing or, or we're moving you over the next month. Okay. So there's no gray area. Yeah. But the point is, and and why I brought that up is that's actually somewhat instructive for the Leafs. Of course. Because at least if you go into this, let's say you are to pull the trigger and bring in Hannafin, you at least know what he's looking for. Exactly. Not to say that Brad tree living wouldn't have already sussed that out already, but it's more or less been public. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just wonder if you're the least what the appetite is for another guy on a on a ticket that large. Um, yeah, just, well, the one thing about Hannafin is he his age works. Of course, the number and though, they, Frank. I don't know if you know this. If you heard about the least, but they're going to be paying uh, four forwards forty five million dollars next year. Well, yeah, and as we <laughs> just discussed off the top of our segment, yeah. that's kind of all that's been showing up for them. Uh, yeah. Big time. Well, that's why. Okay, so you you brought it to Splash, and I get it because that's what everybody really wants to hear, right? Is what are the Leafs going to do of major consequence? Who are they going to go out and get? Who's the name? What's the defenseman? Blah blah blah. blah. I get it. I get it. I get it. But to me, when I was watching that game yesterday, and I was even when I was thinking about it and asking you the question and talking about what are they shopping for right now, I'm sure they're asking on everything, right? Or that they're trying to figure out the entirety of the market. That's the job of the general manager. But could we be looking at Where do at some, you start? Well, that's what I'm that's where I'm going with this is do you think right now they're trying to look around the league and say, "Hey, is there is there a forward or two that we can send out like way smaller draft pick capital for?" You know, because they've got all this cap space. It's not an issue for them whatsoever right now. If another team's just looking for some minor pieces for you to bring in just even NHL level talent to your forward group, I would imagine that this is a team that's looking to just do that right now. Well, I think before you do that, it it makes sense to go by order of process and fill your biggest need first. Mm. Does it not? Well, my thinking on this is that you you want to use this next month to figure out whether or not you're a real contender, right? That that's the that's the parameters that we're working within here. Like we, most people look at the Leafs and say, doesn't really look they're like not, a contender. Right now, they're not. Yeah, correct. And there seems to be at least rumblings that. Tree Living is pretty hesitant to be making any major moves around the team that he's seen so far this season. I I don't know that that's fair. Okay. It's not that he's hesitant. I think it's that if he's going to do it, it's going to need to be a big splash. Sure. That's okay. But meaning if he's going to make the move, it has to be really impactful. Right. But in years past, like this is the NHL trade deadline. This is when dumb stuff gets done, right? You, this, they don't want to do not in a position to do dumb stuff. Exactly. They don't want to do the, the Nick Foligno trade anymore where they're giving up a first round pick for a rental. Like they've, they've exhausted that. Not for nothing. Like the Ryan O'Reilly one might, it's just as bad. 
Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, the, the end result was essentially the same. You got one first round and then or you, you got to the first round this time, but then it's a quick exit and nobody's feeling good about it. And the guy walks away for nothing. So, yeah, point point taken. I think that they're done with that portion of the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, the era with different this regime, core. too. Right. Different regime, different era. Just you can't keep giving up first round picks and major assets to supplement a core, especially when they don't look like. This is the year. You could have made it in years past when the Leafs were better and they were tearing up the regular season. This year, it's just like even last night, they get that win. Uh, there were there were moments, you know. They're killing mm-hmm. a penalty in the second period. And I was thinking, boy, if one goes by Samsonov here, we're going right back to Sheldon Keefe talk tomorrow with Frank. It's <laughs> what are we doing? And he, Well, I mean, and that's just tired in its own sure, right. I, buddy, you think I want to do it? God, it kills me to be doing this <laughs> stuff. I'm, I'm very exhausted with a lot of the Leafs narratives. But this one. It's been a tough day for you. Yeah, I know. I'm a little exasperated here. I'm trying to cool this down a touch. But my thinking is if you're tree living and you're, let's, whatever, not reluctant to trade the first out of, for whatever so you're, reason. You're, you're, what you're saying, let me boil this down, is you are hoping for, or, or if you're not making the splash, will you nibble around the edges? If is you're going to nibble saying? around the edges, you might as well do it earlier. You might as well jump the market like some of these other teams have. Plus, if you jump the market and you nibble and you bring in some of these smaller pieces that are at least NHL talent, like, dude, again, yesterday, they're playing McMahon and Reeves and Holmberg and, you know, Robert, you could have made a case Robertson's one of their best six guys yesterday up front. And that's not Mm -hmm. good. That's really not good. They've got these injuries. I know camp maybe comes back sooner rather than later, but who gets you excited? Nobody. That's my point. But at least if you could bring in somebody who's like a defensively responsible forward, someone who can play NHL minutes and is a proven NHL minute forward. I think that would help Sheldon Keefe out a lot. And at least... But aren't those guys somewhat expensive? Well, like, look at... That's what I'm asking. Like, let me give you an example. Nick Dowd from the yeah. Caps. Yeah. One year left, so has term, not a rental. Yeah. Sort of quintessential bottom six center. Doesn't score a ton, but gives you the odd, you know, contribution every now and again, but mm-hmm. works his arse off and is reliable. Great attention to detail. Does that, but that's going to cost you what there's lots of teams that think Nick Dowd with the year left on his deal is going to cost you a first round pick. So there you go. So even the, not, so you're not cost. nibbling around the edges because mm-hmm. even though on, on your roster, he's on the margins for a contending team, you could like meaning a team one piece away, you could see why that might make sense, mm-hmm. but the Leafs are more than that. So then you go to the next pile down and you say, okay, uh, who gets us really excited? I, I'm, I've got my new trade targets board that's posted today. Mm-hmm. Brandon Duhame, fourth line winger from Minnesota, speed to burn, four checks, his 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 butt off. Does that make sense? Anthony Duclair, Arthur Kaliev, Morgan Frost, Jordan Greenway, Jason Zucker. Yeah, depending on the prices, a lot of those names make sense to me. But uh, like, if you're talking first or second round picks for those, no, names, most so, yeah. of these guys are mid round picks. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Picks. I would be looking at stuff like that. If you told me Greenway, so you who could be gets getting, you excited in that group? I just well, I'm just, like pretty much all of those names for what the Leafs have on their forward group right now. That's my point. Is that bring in anybody? Bring in a guy who has an actual pulse, who actually does a thing at the NHL level. Because right now they're leaning on a lot of rookies and a lot of, frankly, AHL level talent amongst the ranks. Like, I think that there's probably a pretty strong case to be made of trying to spread out your talent to see if you can boost some of these guys. But outside of that, 
Like, yeah, if I'm tree living and I want to find out what this team really has, I need a little bit more talent around them. And I don't know how he accomplishes it because he does have limited resources to pull from because they are trying to, as you said, make sure that they have enough powder. If something big materializes that they can move on. But I would think that if you can use middle round picks like later ones, small assets to just bring in NHL forwards that are real that well then cap space is going to become an issue but it's not for them because they had the Klingberg thing like they can bring in an an insane amount of cap this year in fact it's like if they became a seller I would wonder if they would use some of that in order to retain on some teams or figure like they're in a decent spot cap wise better than they've ever been since essentially these guys were on their rookie contracts and so bringing in those kind of guys like that's actually not an issue for them whatsoever they're going to carry three goalies and they're not going to bat an eye because they've got money Real money. Okay. Real money. I'm just, I I understand the money part, but like if you add a a couple of these names or most of the names Mm -hmm. that you mentioned that are not going to cost a lot acquisition wise Mm -hmm. are certainly more cap space wise. Yeah. Yes. Well, you can't have the cap space go a year over. Mike Hoffman, four and a half. Jason Zucker, 5.3. You know, go, go through these guys. They're not, most of them are not cheap on the cap. Duclair, 3 million. Yeah. Dumba, 3.9. I mean, uh, personally, I, I'm, I, I don't necessarily agree with your take. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying that you, you know, you need to, at least in the meantime, if you're not going to make a big move, to sprinkle some things around and mm-hmm. try and make it a little bit better in the short term. But for me, it's if you're not making the big splash, just leave it as is. Okay. That's how I would look at it. So what about a challenge trade then? Because I was thinking about it last night while I was doing Leafs talk. Lilligren's really been struggling. And maybe some of it's been that he's had multiple uh, partners and in the injury this year. And now he's playing with Giordano, who looks like he's just really, really close to the end. Um, but w- have you heard anything on Lilligren's availability? And I know, again, different front offices. But this is an organization that last year flipped Sandine. And they said, mm-hmm. yep, we're going to just take on a first, a different kind of asset. And I wondered if they would be willing to do something like that with Lilligren for a forward of his ilk, right? Like someone who isn't having a great season. Is this a new term, by the way? Challenge trade? Yeah, yeah. I I think it's old. But yeah, it's like challenge trade. It's, you know, you go and... Wouldn't we just call that a hockey trade? Yeah, maybe. I guess challenge, I just view it as like, it's your challenge. They're challenging you to show better. And it's two guys that should show more. Like a hockey Mm -hmm. trade to me is always just a fair trade, player for player. A challenge trade is when it's two guys who have been struggling. Most of our trades now, unfortunately, are just rentals. Yeah, boring. For futures. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's hardly ever like a blockbuster, you know, four guys in their prime that are swapped for each other. Yeah. Yeah. I wish it was more. I wish it was more of that. But what do you, have you heard Lilligren's name in anything? I have not. Okay. All right. But I mean, what you're saying makes sense. And if you go back and you look at the list of all the defensemen that have, been traded in in since 2023 for a first round pick. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sandine is the one real outlier there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, to tie up the trade conversation, well, actually, there's there's two more questions on trade that I have. But the first one is, I mentioned the thing about the the trade deadline being bumped up and some of the heavy lifting already being done. Right, we've seen uh, two. Uh, I don't want. I don't know if Monahan ends up being one of the biggest names, but he goes for a first, so who knows. But he was certainly, number two on my board. Okay, so then, yeah, then you saw had number one and two on your board already get mm-hmm. traded. It's a month in advance. Do you think we're going to continue to see this trend over the next couple of weeks? Like, are you anticipating a lot of the action to be happening now rather than closer to the date? 
Well, I think yes, because the market is so thin. Mm. I mean, the whole gist of our conversation is who are the impact guys? And the Flames had the premier rental center in Lindholm. They move him. The next guy to go quickly because no one wants to be left holding the bag is Monaghan. Mm-hmm. Now flip it and the Flames have arguably the – not arguably, the premier rental defenseman in Hannafin and then the next best guy in Tanev. They've got the market cornered on defense. Mm-hmm. It feels like that's the next domino to fall here, that Henrique might wait a little bit because I think in the meantime at the center position, all these teams are going around saying, well, if the cost was this for Sean Monaghan, how much more would I have to pay to get someone that actually has term? That's where Scott Lawton enters the picture from the Flyers or potentially Boone Jenner from the Columbus Blue Jackets. Teams are forced to get creative when it gets thin. Mm. And so your question of will timing wise today is exactly one month until the March 8th deadline. Mm -hmm. Will things heat up? I think the answer is yes, because everyone realizes that outside of a few guys that are guaranteed difference makers, a lot of what you're left with is to use your phrase, a challenge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think they're definitely in the challenge. Okay. So here's the other part of it. And this goes back to the Hannafin thing. So mm-hmm. they know that that what would you say it was eight by seven five? Yep. Okay. Sixty million flat. Sixty million flat. This is a country where we're, and this is a team certainly with the Toronto Maple Leafs, where there's one thing that's very expected, and that is you get all the money up front, and they put in a signing bonus, and it helps against the taxes. You pay a different tax rate on the signing bonus than you do on the salary. They're just doing what all rich guys do, right? Which is, we don't want to pay the taxes. Yeah, it's more complicated than that. We're sure. not going to have time to dive yeah, into the I, whole I, thing. Yeah, I know, yes. but this is the this is the dumbed down for everybody involved here. You know, like that is, would you not agree that that's essentially the major gist of it? You get all the money up front or as much as possible. You, you're, this is a tax evasion thing. It's like a big percentage dr- drop off if it's your salary versus if it happens in the signing bonus of what you get taxed. Correct. Yes. Okay. What I don't understand about this story and what I'm hoping that you can tell me is people are going, well, Tavares wouldn't have signed here if he couldn't have done this. And I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. Maybe that's true for playing. The, the bigger question is this dispute that Tavares and the CRA have over the $8 million in taxes and interest. Yes. Is this something that is actually going to have major implications on Canadian franchise and the Leafs moving forward? Or is this a one-off situation no. because of where he was living at the time and like that, like I, I can't tell what is. It's the, a one-off situation. Yeah, that's what I thought. It, it's it's not just because of where he was living, mm-hmm. which uh, was in New York. That's I it. Think. Yeah, because it was it, the, the argument he's it's making. More than is, that, I think it. it sorry, the, go ahead. the story in the National Post was missing some key details about the language that may or may not have been in. Tavares's contract specific to the signing bonus. According to the CRA, the bonus must be for inducement to sign only. And if there's language in there that says that the bonus can be clawed back at any point because he decides to walk away from playing or whatever the reason might be, breach of contract, then the CRA has made it clear that they are going to treat that as regular income. So I think in his case, it's even more a one-off and not a system systemic thing that will become a thing 
Because we don't know exactly what it said, but that's what I'm told to look for. Well, I think that actually would be even more encouraging because now, even if you do have this as a poster child of where things can go wrong, it changes the language moving forward with contracts. So then everyone's aware of it. And look, they've been aware of it. This may have just been one that slipped through the cracks. And more than that, um, to bring it back to Hannafin, which I think was the root of this question, that's the one thing that's really stood out about Hannafin with the Flames is I'm told... He had let them know last summer that his preference was to sign in the U.S. Yeah. I don't know if Toronto makes a difference because it's a lot closer to Boston, but it is certainly a consideration for anyone that would be interested in acquiring him. Yeah, certainly. It's closer. I don't think it's all that close. <laughs> I don't know. He's like, I'm just it's, jumping over yeah, to Boston still, this still weekend. across international lines yeah, last time yeah. I checked. Just do it a quick, it's not Buffalo, you know? It's, it's not right there. Uh, okay, last one. Are the Coyotes dead in Arizona? Is this finally done? Or could we, I, I hate doing it. I never do this it's story. It's close. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, very close. Oh, come on. I, I'm rooting for this. Get out. Look, I, it's, been, it's been a bizarre story because oh. in the sense, this has dragged on more or less for 20 years. The but worst. it's been really funny to watch the coverage from Arizona because they're like, oh, man, do you know how many times we've been through this? This is nothing. Yeah. They'll bounce back from this. And I'm like, guys, no, I don't think you get it. Like, yeah. this really is – it's you're the, it's put up or shut up time. You either mm. have an arena or you don't. And if you don't, your team's not going to be there. I'm a Seattle Supersonics fan. Nothing has hurt mm-hmm. me more in my sports life. Not, you know, obviously not Leafs blowing 4-1 to Boston. Like, who cares? Like, none of, none of this mm-hmm. has even come close to the, the Seahawks on the one-yard line. Nothing. Nothing, nothing has happened. Like, losing the Sonics still affects me to this day. Wow. Uh, oh, no question about it. Uh, like, I remember I think being... it's the best play possible. I think this... Te- I think the franchise is toxic in that Yeah, market. that's my point. I'm saying Two I... decades of losing... Dude, yes. Receiverships, bankruptcy... Yes. No arena, being kicked out from two different municipalities. I think they just need to start fresh. Move the team, yes. change the name... And then five years from now, when you go through your next expansion process, come back to, ter- come back to Phoenix... And no. put a new team there in a oh new building God. that is in a wealthy area that can start fresh. Oh, God, no. This is like the Atlanta people who are like, we'll do it well this time. I'm like, no, we've done this before with you. Like, you've yeah, had no, but just- Phoenix is different, I think. I, yeah. I do believe in the market. Mm. I'm not as big a believer in Atlanta. Trust me, I've covered way too many games in Atlanta to know. Yeah, I just I, I just I don't need the NHL. First of all, I don't think that the NHL needs 34 teams like too many there's too many teams like there's too many guys in the nhl it doesn't matter what you think i know it doesn't matter what i think there's if, in- if they're gonna give you three billion dollars to yeah. sprinkle among 30 teams because vegas and seattle don't get a cut uh-huh god that sucks three billion that's pretty good uh, all you have to do is sign your name on a piece of paper and you don't have to do anything and you get you lose a couple players in expansion drafts but you get a hundred million dollars yeah Anyway, I just... I mean, think about it. The Florida Panthers not that long ago sold for a buck 50. Yeah. And you mean 10, 12 years later, they're going to get a $100 million check just to just for being part of the club? Yeah. I will say this. It's the best thing ever. It kind of, but I I also listen... Like, Mark Cuban sold a lot of his stake in the Dallas Mavericks recently, and I remember listening to him on a podcast like two years ago talking about expansion, and again, I'm stupid, and so it's hard for me to fully understand these things, but Cuban did talk about some of the drawbacks of taking these constant expansion fees. And I do think that 
yeah, you can start to rob Peter to pay Paul on this. There is a point of diminishing returns for the NHL, and I, I think that they should be cautious of that, especially when it comes to the product. Like, you know, I think it's. I think what you're saying is fair, but yeah. as you know, money trumps all. Yeah, of course. Yeah, the greedy owners are gonna do some greedy stuff. I, I think and it's just more eyeballs, more markets. Ugh, you know, if you can't actually grow revenue, mm-hmm. the only way to do that is to add new teams. Yeah. So we'll do it for you. I can't wait for the NHL to have 48. Poor Elliot Friedman, 48 thoughts. He's just like, oh, like every week, he's just, just crying as he's trying to write that column out. Uh, yeah, okay, uh, Frank. Um, I'm down with the death of the Coyotes, and may they never go back. May they salt the earth in Phoenix, even though you believe in it. Uh, thanks for making time, brother. Have a good one. You Hope too. You stop sweating. Yeah, I, I have. I've recovered. This is this is the thing about working out, ladies and gentlemen. Resting heart rate, recovery. This is where I'm at now. Like, Doesn't work for me. But oh yeah, this is. Uh, yeah. I'm one of those guys. Like an hour later, after getting off the Peloton, is still dying. So. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Maybe I should take care of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. See you, buddy. Um, Frank Cervelli. DFO, Hockey Insider. Okay, a couple things on that. I'm still, I'm, I'm standing, I'm standing ten toes down on my take. Leafs. I don't want to see them do Hannafin and Tanif. Okay, I guess there's a price. Of course, is there a price where I say, yeah, okay, do that. I don't, I'm not with Frank on the heavy lifting first. I get that you want to have as many assets as possible and you want to be able to be as nimble as possible. But if I'm the Leafs, I got to find out what we have here and whether we can get hot here and, and whether we as a group can see a little bit better. So there's two things that I think should happen today or in the very, very, very near future. One, Sheldon Keefe, you got you to gotta break up the talent. Uh, enough is enough. We've seen it. We know what the team is when Marner and Matthews play together. We know what the team is when Tavares is on that line. They're fine. Do they go out and dominate every night? No. Do they go out there and just kick people's teeth in? That, those, that top six to the point, like last night they did. It was awesome. At the very end of the game, you know, they completely turned the tides. You still have that ability to stack your lines in moments of, of crisis or when you're behind in a game and you're shortening your bench anyways. We've already seen you have a propensity to do that, Sheldon Keefe. So do that anyways in those moments. But you got to find out what the rest of the roster is. And so to me, it's time. Break up the big boys. Let us see three lines. Put Domi back with Marner. Let's see it. Because this, this is what keeps driving me nuts about the, the top line right now is everyone tells me over and over and over again, and I don't think, I watch the games, I take, I'm doing my due diligence, I'm doing my note-taking, I'm doing as much as possible to watch it with a fine-tuned eye. I'm not under any uh, disillusions that Max Domi is some kind of an elite defensive hockey player. Duh. It's pretty obvious. Just watch his shifts in the D zone sometimes and the struggles he can have to try to win puck battles and get the puck out. It's painful at times. But... Isn't Mitch Marner supposed to be one of the best defensive forwards in hockey? Isn't that why they've put Kelly Yarncroft with Max Domi is to have a player who can counterbalance him to a certain degree? But I'm not getting any offensive upside for Max Domi. And I know that people are going to say, buddy, this is a hobby horse for you. No, it's true. Try to put him with someone that he showcased a little bit of chemistry with and see if Marner can carry his own line. Marner's going to want another, what, $12 million contract a year from now? Don't you want to find out if he's a driver of a line? Don't you want to find out if you're going to continue to do this formula of pay all the forwards all the money that they can actually do this independent of one another? Because I think that you could probably save a lot of money 
on some of this production if you just like if you can find some other guys that can somewhat replicate a few, a, a solid percentage of the statistics that these guys put up Matthews aside so if you're Sheldon Keefe, find out what you have with the rest of the roster by letting them actually play with talent. Maybe put Bertuzzi back with Austin Matthews. Put Domi with Mitch Marner. Keep Tavares and Nylander together. I don't know, but have three lines. Try to have three lines where you're spreading out the talent. Because right now, what you had last night, that's not a workable solution, honestly. They, they squeaked out that game with three power play goals and two massive moments from their stars, a beautiful setup from John Tavares to William Nylander right after Mitch Marner made, had one of the best shifts of his entire year. Like they squeaked that game out because the rest of the talent in that forward group without Yarncroc and without camp is not good. Camp will come back sooner rather than later. Yarncroc, what? It's still a month before he's back. I'd like to see the Leafs say, all right, are we really making a splash this year? Is there really going to be something that changes? Is there really going to be a a defenseman that has some term or that justifies us making a major shakeup that's going to impact this group long-term? And I'm still believing what Frank said about Hannafin is there's two things there. One, he hasn't accepted that trade of, or that, that contract of $60 million. So if you're the Leafs, why would you think that he's signing that here for, well, certainly not less, but even that number, it's still a Canadian market, which he's indicated that he doesn't want to be in, in the first place. So now you've got another player on the books with a massive ticket that you have to sign as a free agent. Hanif or sorry, Tanev kind of got the lowdown on that too. They don't have the second round pick. We've been doing this dance forever. It's getting annoying at this point. Like we get it. Tanev. It's a lot of Tanev talk. Good player. In a normal, if you could get him for a cheap price, it would be amazing for this blue line. He'd be a good fit for this blue line. They're not in a position where they can be given first-round picks up for, for rentals. And I don't know how else they get the second-round pick, what maneuvering they would have to do, but yeah. Doesn't seem like it's a, it's a comfy fit. And I, I hate even the idea of, well, if you would sign here for next, then go out and get him in the offseason. If, if he's so dying to be here that if he would take less money to be a Toronto Maple Leaf, then you should have a leg up on anybody in the offseason anyway. So go do that. Roll the dice. It's Chris Tanev. He shouldn't be the make or break for your franchise. Still, still the same way I feel about Mark, Mark Giordano. It was a good trade, good piece that they ended up getting. Maybe you could have just signed him next year. Who knows? And, and kept, kept the assets. Whatever. You were going for it. But this year doesn't really feel like a, a going for it year. It still feels like a find out what you have year. And that's why if I'm going to find out what I have, I'd rather just put a little bit more talent around the group. I'd rather inject the roster with a little bit more talent and go out there and, yes, hit the, the Frank trade board and find those guys that are on rental contracts that are making too much money that you can absorb as an organization because you have that cap space this year and put more talent on the roster. Put more talent. Go full mercenary. You've already done the mercenary thing to a degree. You've already got Bertuzzi. You've already got, uh, you know, everybody knows the contracts at this point. This is Toronto. Everybody knows who's making what and how long they're making it for. But yeah, go, go full mercenary. Go all in on this. And that allows you to keep the assets, what limited assets you have. They've got in the next three years, two first round picks, one second round pick. And they've got two prospects that are making any kind of noise within the organization. That's it. 
That's what they're working from. I saw that the Athletic posted them as what, 28th? 26th? It was the Blue Jays were 26th and the Leafs were 28th. 28th, yeah. You know, uh, these these rankings aren't gospel, but I would say that they're fairly, they, they're pretty accurate. They're in the ballpark. They're not that far removed. So, yeah, to me, that's that's kind of where I'm at right now. The, the deadline has moved up. You might end up getting pinched on some of these guys anyway. I don't want to get in a bidding war for Chris Tanev and Noah Hannafin with the looming zero-term having to rene- having to negotiate more deals I-, I don't like it it doesn't it doesn't fit my eye personally if you can go out and you tell me there's some defenseman I'm not hearing about right now who's not on these trade boards who people aren't discussing because is in a very quiet room or that's going to open up in a month from now fine but it doesn't appear that way like I look at the NHL standings every day same as the rest of you and who who are you seeing there who are you even trying to dream on go full mercenary use limited assets keep the powder dry Take a run at this year without really taking a run at this year. Take a run at this year with a couple of minor moves around the fringes rather than one major splash that ends up emptying your coffers. Still not even really sure what a coffer is. It's like, yeah, I know you put money there. (laughs) That's, That's rich guy talk. Coffers. Don't empty the coffers. Not around this team. Not when there's still so many, like... The Marner decision is looming here. And I don't know how anybody could be watching this team and seeing the results of it and going, yep, we get it. They got a top four and all the others. We'll spin the others out. We'll bring some others in. We'll have discussions about what kind of others should be around these four guys making all the money. God, eventually you got to consider moving off one of the guys. And I don't want to get into it because we've gotten into it a billion times. But anyways, I I would just be, if if it's me, I'm trying to improve around the fringes because I just, I don't think, and I like Holmberg. I think that, you know, Robertson showcases things at times. I'm pretty worried about Nyes. Like where I I kind of forgot to finish that point, but my thing about the Domi being on the top six line and that he's too defensively irresponsible. Like I'm not really seeing much from Matthew Nyes that's justifying him just being immovable from the top six or like there's some major difference between the two of them. Like, yeah, Nyes is bigger. I see him lose puck paddles in the D zone all the time. I see him make brain farts and turnovers in the D zone all the time. He's not getting the puck on net. He's not, he's not scoring any goals. He's not getting any points. He plays with two of the best players on the planet. Like why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you want to be thinking about moving him off of that line or breaking up that group? Again, they're limited when it comes to what they have on the left wing right now. They're limited with what they have down the middle. But it's time to get creative here. It's, it really is. We've, we've seen the formula, Sheldon. We've seen you go with the same thing every night for years, which is play those main forwards all of the minutes that you possibly can. Get tight and play those minutes all the way. It's, it's time to give a peek at something new. And then if you're tree living, I think that the, the tie-in with him is go out and get a couple of extra pieces that he can actually rely upon because there's obviously not a lot of guys that he loves so give him a bit more flexibility. And then all of a sudden, Yarncroft comes back and Camp comes back, and now you have a, a team that has a bunch of actual NHL forwards. Everyone's so focused on the blue line. I get it. I would love to address the blue line, but I don't see a scenario where they're bringing in guys that are better than the depth dudes that they already have if they're adding depth. And the top-end guys cost so much but aren't impactful enough to me that it actually is going to change the outcome of the organization. So that's where I'm at today. Agree, disagree, whatever. I don't really care. Give me something new. All right. Uh, We've got to take a quick break. Before we do that, 
the iconic Coors Light Chill Train is heading to Las Vegas for the big game. And it just made a stop in Toronto, leaving behind a trail of epic prizes. On February 8th and 9th from 8 a.m. to 7 p.m., look for its frozen tracks at Young and Dundas for a chance to win instant prizes that deliver big game chill or the ultimate grand prize, a trip to next year's big game event. Learn more at CoorsLight.ca backslash the chill train. When we come back, the hell are the Blue Jays thinking? <laughs> another, somehow another L for this front office in an offseason just chock full of them. Next. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Finally, a good beat from you. God, once a month we get one. Today is NBA trade deadline day. But I didn't want to do any. I didn't want to do any. I could see you get loading up the defense. You're mounting the defense and you knew better. Good job. Uh, it's NBA trade deadline day. There's what, what, are the, what are the hours of the shows today? Because we've shifted some things around. I should have had this ready, but... It's an extended Raptor show with Will Lou and Blake Murphy. So tune into that later because they, they're going to be on when it's all done. And I didn't want to do NBA rumor stuff today because it just shifts so quickly before the show, right? Like it just didn't make any sense. I wanted those of you listening to this podcast to go, you know, I enjoy this. And this is why I leave five stars and this is why I subscribe is because JD doesn't make it always about what's happening. If, if, but if breaking news happens, don't you worry. It's going to be addressed immediately. The... The guys are on it, I'm sure. You know, <laughs> anytime you could trust Armin and Nick to be on top of the the trades, then you you know you're in the proper hands. I'm not nervous at all. I'm not nervous at all to step out of the studio and go, sorry, Bruce Brown was dealt for what? <laughs> Hours ago? Yeah, no, it's okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Raptor show starts at 1 p.m. today, by one, the way. 1 p.m.? Okay, nice. 1 p.m. and goes to 4? Correct. Nice. So 1 to 4, Raptor show today. And the deadline ends at what time? 3? Three? 3, yeah. Yeah, so there you go. You're going to get two hours of just in the thick of it. That's actually the most fun. I got to tell you, that's, I'm jealous of them for that. Because we, I used to have that when I did good show. The most fun is when you're doing deadline coverage. And I've done NHL too, the same thing. And it's the clock's ticking down. And you're going, that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it. And a reminder for Leaf fans, I was on the desk, the radio desk, but still I was there. I was at the CBC building. I was at the honchos back when they, you know, they would put everybody together back when radio was a part of it. And they would say, go sit down. You'll be at the CBC. And it was 2020 and it was Nick Patan was the final move. And you went, whoa, that's it, huh? I wonder if this is going to be one of those years. What's the biggest news that's dropped while you've been on air? Uh, I don't know. I've never, I, while I've been on, you know what it was? Honestly, it was Kawhi returning to Toronto on the helicopter and thinking it was happening. Like doing, I was actually doing a show with Dangle. He was in, it was a summer show. He was co-hosting with me and Kawhi was on the chopper and we were following the chopper. Basically the entire radio show was just like, that's him. That's him on the chopper. 
Here's pictures. We were sending people. I think we sent Jeff Asbarty and Mark Boffo down to, because I think we went to down York, to the tarmac. No, we went to Yorkville to for coffee or something with Masai, and they were just like camped out there on the street. And you would go to them, and they'd say, "Yeah, we saw some cars go into a garage. It's pretty crazy stuff." Yeah, that was that felt huge in the moment because if you remember, Jalen Rose had the report that Kawhi was going to be coming back to Toronto. And the thought was, too, like, this guy was actually on the plane. So, like, we had visual confirmation. This is when saying a guy was on the plane actually meant a guy was on the plane. And that was Kawhi. He was on that plane. So, you thought, why would he be coming back here if not to sign? And it felt like a done deal. And the, it, that was, it was honestly, the, the beauty of the Raptors run is that it was multiple championships. You know, like... The rim bounce was a championship. The fact that one actually went in for the Raptors against the Sixers, that was a, that was a championship for this franchise. Then they played the Bucks and they were down 0-2, and they came back, and they won. And they went to an NBA Finals where everyone, no one in their right mind thought that they were going to actually win like the NBA Finals. That's why I'll tell you to this day, anybody you see with East Finals merch, right, or... Uh, NBA championship merch with the Raptors was not a believer. They, that is just proof that you never thought the Raptors were going to win an NBA title that year, that you thought it was the Golden State Warriors in a walkaway. And so you went, I'm going out and getting this merch because this is the best we're going to get. And it's fair. It was a fair. I thought the same thing. I remember I was down at the, uh, I was down at the arena doing a show from before one of the games and I was watching Kevin Durant warm up and it was like very secretive. And Andrew Bogut was actually there, like, chasing us away, going, like, get out of here, mate. Get out of here. That's quite a don't, bouncer. Don't be looking at him. <laughs> don't. <laughs> I said, okay. I just want to watch him shoot. And, but KD was moving through, and, he, and I remember he walked by me, and he's walking normal. And I, in my thought, I, I went, we're dead. <laughs> we're dead. We are dead. And they won. So it was multiple championships. But then the other championship was thinking Kawhi was going to come back, right? Because it was, so rim bounce, one championship, beating the Bucks, second championship, actual championship championship and then thinking Kawhi was back would have been the fourth it would have been a four it would have been four championships no one would have ever beat that that would have been a dynasty in one offseason not to mention the five when we win the chip and run it back that's what I mean yeah not to mention that alternate reality you're right there would have been a lot of championships a lot of championships anyway um yeah that's I can't think of something that was bigger than that that happened to me on air while it was going down I'm sure there have been ones because I've definitely been on whilst things are happening and that's fun, but whatever. Um, so to bring this back around, I thought I might be on air yesterday when Vladdy's arbitration hearing was announced. I was told that it wasn't going to happen the night before that because Ennis and I had actually planned to do good hour after the arbitration hearing so that we could bring it up and involve that in the podcast yesterday. And if you didn't listen, go back and hear it because uh, I think we had a pretty good uh, discussion about it. And actually a lot of what we were saying about the front office is uh, has even more weight now. Okay, people, smart people have been telling me that the Blue Jays were going to win, right? Like they were, or sorry, that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was going to win. Ben Nicholson-Smith was on record multiple times going, Blue Jays lowballed this guy. And I was just dismissive of the smart people around it saying, okay, I hear what you're saying that he's been lowballed and I... But he was coming off of a really bad season. He does have the, the best year of his career is the, the year with a lot of the park factors. I thought 
there's no way that the Blue Jays are going to go to arbitration with the face of their franchise. And yes, he's still the face of the franchise. Is he the best player? I don't know. We'll find out. Like, it's is it Bo's team? Whatever. Who cares about this? For now, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is the face of the franchise. He's showing up at the Phoenix Suns game to extend the Kevin Durant analogy here and shaking hands with KD, and KD knows who he is. Part of that's probably his name. But he's the guy that's on MLB The Show, which is apparently not even just the Toronto or Canadian edition. Because we've seen that before where people go, do you see Strowman's, the cover of MLB The Show? Yeah, in this country, (laughs) here. But I think Vladdy is here and south, right? Yeah, anyway. To take the face of your franchise to arbitration and to say mean things about him, fair, probably things, but still mean and have this discussion and to be fighting over what was less than $2 million. And sometimes we do lose sight of that as sports people where we go $2 million, $2 million, you know, if I was the owner of a team, I wouldn't want to just be handing over $2 million to somebody just because I wouldn't be cute with that going, hi, no problem. You got to be, what was, what was the son's guy's name who apparently is already, they're like, no more from you, Ishbia? Yeah, Matt Ishbia, I think. Yeah. You got to have that kind of money. You got to have, oh, Carolina Panthers owner money where he just throws drinks at people because he's just thinking they're peasants and he's a king. Do you know that guy had a rivalry with someone in the Fortune 500 world where he bought the guy's house? Like that was his boss and didn't promote him. And then eventually when he ended up being a mega billionaire, he bought his house. And that is, (laughs) you got to have that money. That's the best money. People call it a certain kind of money that I can't say on the old radio waves but i'm saying revenge money is good money i bet i bet revenge money is good money but i wouldn't want to just be handing out and doling out an extra two mil but if my front office was coming to me and saying hey uh we want to fight with him over this 1.8 million dollars we don't want to give him that i would be saying well we got to win right like if we're going to go through this process and we're going to try to fight him on it and bring up some of the ways we feel about the guy and the reasons why we don't want to give him a more significant raise, we better save that money because that's what makes us save face. And I know the counter to this is always, oh, it's not that big of a deal and they know the business and other guys. I think it's, it goes some ways for certain guys. Ennis brought up Corbin Burns yesterday. There are the dudes that pretty pissed off by this. And all I would say is with Vladdy, you could kind of make the case about Vladdy being family with this organization, right? You could make the case of, Hey man, you know, your dad was in Montreal. We have the picture of you as a little kid with your dad in the Expos Jersey. Like this is, this country is your second home. It's not America. It's, it's Canada. You mean something different to Canada. Remember when you hit the bomb at the big O and that it's the biggest preseason home run ever. Vladdy's been a part of the organization since he was 16 years old when they signed him, right? They gave him, he's been a part of this for a long time. He had his quotes about wanting to be a Blue Jay. I don't know if he would have given a significant hometown discount of some kind, right? Like I don't, I don't believe in that stuff. And especially baseball, we don't really end up seeing it. I guess Altuve just sort of did it with the Astros, but guy who's won multiple World Series with the Astros, he is Mr. Astro. But in, for the most part, guys entering their first contract in their prime, the idea that they, Vladdy was going to take some significant amount less, not going to happen. There's a scenario where the Jays don't even want to play Vladdy. They go into this season. He doesn't really perform well. He has a bad year. You say, hey, you know, thanks for the memories, but 
we can't we can't pay you a big ticket. We can't pay you that. But I do I do wonder if the implication of this to a degree is going to be all right, you guys fought me on the 1.8. You made me go through this thing. You've shown me that this is a business. Sure, you've said your things about me and I won't take that personally. That's not going to impact my play on this on the field this year. But when it comes to contract negotiation times, if I rip it up this year and you guys want to get something down in pen long term, it's going to be a lot. It's going to be a lot. We're not taking any less. Don't family Canada get out with that. <laughs> don't. I don't want to hear any of that because we sure weren't family when we were squabbling over the 1.8. And you guys brought me there and everyone talked about my value for weeks ahead of it. And everyone talked about why the Blue Jays should win that arbitration case and then come talk to me about having to sacrifice or anything along those lines. The only thing that I can think of, and I'm, I'm not giving them this, the benefit of the doubt on this because there's absolutely no way because I don't think that they're this big brain. Like, again, you know, you look at Atkins' resume and it's, it's a lot of, you know, it's been here, what, eight years and not a lot of great moves, a couple of great moves, a couple of good moves, a lot of, ugh, a lot of, huh. This goes in the, uh, another L for you, Ross Atkins for misreading the market yet again. But the only big brain strategy that I could think of with this is that they were, they're just trying to light a fire under them. And they were like, we're trying to push you and we're going to say these things about you so that you hear it because you've got yes men, but hard to believe that that's real. That's, that's as far as I could go with the, why they would do this, why they would lowball him. And when so many people around baseball, when smart people were saying that Vladdy's going to win anyway, just a theory. All right. Quick break. Let's come back. Let's talk to Super Bowl champion and former teammate of Patrick Mahomes, Canadian hero, Laurent Duvernay Tardif. That's next. At Bet3. All right. Going to chat with former Chiefs offensive lineman, current doctor. Pretty good resume. Hard to beat. The resume of a guy who's like, yeah, I'm a Super Bowl champion. I'm a doctor. I'm 6'5". Went to McGill. It's nice. I wish I had that. I was like, I went to Carlton. I took an extra year. I went. I was there too long. And then I came here. And I was an intern. Like, yeah. I talk about sports. Whoo. That doesn't sound good. That doesn't sound like a winner. That's not, that's not close. That is not the same thing. All right. Before we talk to... Tardif. A couple quick things. One is have Brady tomorrow. I wanted to talk to him the closer to the date, to the actual Super Bowl itself. Wanted to push it back as far as I possibly could to do like big narrative discussions and big, hey, what do we what do we believe in when it comes to this game? And I haven't I haven't done a lot. Honestly, if you follow on Twitter and Instagram at JD Bunkus, I've been doing my prop bets. I already mentioned that I the the second that the Super Bowl was set. I put a big bet down on the chiefs because it was a a really nice plus number again. And I thought there's no way I'm going to miss out on Mahomes a second time. Not, not after the debacle that was the Ravens game. And the, the real, one of the biggest points of curiosity to me is what do we get from Brock Purdy? Does Brock Purdy 
finally show a little bit of the fluster, does does he get wrapped up by the moment? Because it's a it's a great story, and I'm being serious here because I know I tease Niners fans all the time, and I know I like to make fun of the Niners and do this whole bit about hating them. And like I I don't like the Niners. I definitely want the Seahawks to win those games more than others. But real talk here, this is not bias and this is not hate. But Lamar Jackson is a two time MVP. And I think that he's one of the most talented players in the NFL. And I truly believe that despite as horrific as the game plan was for the Baltimore Ravens in the AFC championship game, that part of what happened was he felt the pressure of the moment. He felt the pressure of playing Patrick Mahomes. And maybe it's worse for him because he's Lamar Jackson and people were going into the game saying, hey, could you be the greatest quarterback in the NFL right now? Could you be the number one guy? Could you be the belt holder? This is your first Super Bowl. You're the guy on this team, even though they're that talented. Lamar is still the face of that franchise without a doubt. Still the best player. He's the MVP. He's the guy that weirdly, he knows that if he goes to a Super Bowl, that all the defending that his teammates have to do about Lamar Jackson and all the narratives about that. He's not a quarterback and he's a playmaker. He's a running, like all that stuff goes away with a Super Bowl win. So maybe the weight of all of that is worse for him than it was for Brock Purdy. But I, I still truly believe that it's, he sees Patrick Mahomes on the other sideline and he's diamond it to start a game and punch the Ravens in the mouth and it shook him. And he went, Oh damn it. Things got into his head. He started to think about it, and then you saw that on some of the sailed throws and some of the, the just the, the lack of plays that they were able to make down the field. And what's going to happen with Brock Purdy when he is that exact same spot? Because it's one thing, there's been a lot of, you're a game manager, you're nothing, the expectation is sort of low. But then this year it was, hey, is he the MVP? And there's been a lot of talk about him. And all of a sudden you're the quarterback that's at the Super Bowl. And these two teams already played each other. These two teams already faced off against one another, and it was, God, this is the rudest thing ever, is that that Super Bowl was in 20, that was in 2020, the very beginning of 2020, which is the 2019 football season. That's five years ago. That's not right. 2019 being five years ago is, is not fair. It's not right. But what is it, it going to look like for Brock Purdy when he's under the bright lights, and now there all of a sudden is an expectation, and that the difference between that Super Bowl in the 2019 season that happened in February of 2020, what happens when he's supposed to be the difference maker for this team? What happens then? Will he start to feel that pressure? Will he look like that? Because I don't think that he's been someone that has been... Uh, I, I don't feel like I've seen Brock Purdy look m- massively nervous in spots. Seems like he's carried it very well. He's got great perspective. We saw him down at media day and... He doesn't care about the quarterbacks that were taken in front of him. He's not interested in any of those conversations. He doesn't mind the game manager tag, despite the fact that it's kind of a moving target. It's one of those things where we talk about it like as though it's a disrespectful term. And then other times we try to say it's fine. Everyone, the great quarterbacks, a lot of them are game managers. Yeah. I just, I like, I like what we've seen from Brock Purdy, but man, being in that Super Bowl is going to be, I got to imagine very, very different, very, very different for a guy that hasn't been there before and has that expectation of, yo, you got to deliver on this extremely talented roster. And now we're going to need more from you than just potentially managing the game in spots. Anyways, a guy who's actually been there, a guy who went to a Super Bowl, won his Super Bowl. Uh, and then now has well, walked away from the game on his own terms. Uh, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, Super Bowl champion with the Chiefs. And of course, doctor now, proud Canadian. What's up, brother? How are we doing? 
Hey, how's it going? Good, man. Good. So, all right. Uh, when you're this week, you know, things are leading up. It's the Super Bowl. It's your former team. It's the matchup that you actually won a Super Bowl, right? Is there any part of you, you're watching this, you're like, man, I miss it just a little bit, you know? Like, you go in the backyard, you got, like, a sled somewhere, you start pulling it, you're like, do I still got it? <laughs> <laughs> you got it. Uh, honestly, honestly, I'm going to miss it every day of my life. Yeah, okay. Football is the greatest sport uh, there is, and, and for me, like, there's no doubt that if it was not for the injury and all the, you know, practicing medicine, that kind of stuff, I would still be out there playing football. But uh, the reality of the game is that you cannot play it forever, and that when you're done playing, you're done playing. There's no garage league like hockey or whatever. So, yeah. uh, but it, but, but I, I mean, I still I still root for the Chiefs. Uh, I still really enjoy watching the Chiefs play. I still have a lot of friends that play down there. So it's uh, I'm really excited for them this weekend. It's a big weekend coming up, and yeah. I, I, I know it's going to trigger a lot of memories for yeah. a lot of people out there. Yeah, that's cool, man. I'm glad you said it that way. Like where you're like, of course I miss it. Like yeah, this is, I, I think it'd be crazy for you to answer it the other way. Where you're like, no, I don't ever think about it at all. Being with uh, 52 other guys that I am friends with and winning football games and winning the Super Bowl, like who cares about that? Like of course that's awesome. I, I, uh, you better, <laughs> you better miss doing it. Getting paid millions of dollars, travel around, be famous, and uh, work out with the best and have the best nutritionists and people looking after you constantly. Like of course, all those things are very, very neat. But you're, what are you right now? You're 32. You're thir- like yeah. Well, I'm actually turning 33 the day of okay. the Super Bowl. That's why I'm oh. staying in Montreal to celebrate okay. with my friends and family. But yeah, uh, yeah 32 right now. Yeah, that's an expensive birthday if you're like, let's go to the Super Bowl to celebrate. You're like, actually, never mind. I well, looked at it. Yeah. <laughs> and on top of that, you got to bring all your friends. That's so what no I mean. Way. That's what I'm saying. It's like all of a sudden you got to bring your friends. Like, uh, I saw one story where Christian McCaffrey said to his family, I can't afford to bring you all to the Super Bowl because a suite was something like 2.5 million for the game. Uh, maybe it was even a little bit more than that. And you go, yeah, that's, I would be telling my family no to that as well. (laughs) Like, Hey, you know, you find a reasonable price on StubHub and maybe we'll talk. (laughs) 2.5 million. That's crazy. Yeah. For one game. That much money for like uh, four hours of entertainment. Uh, No, it's unbelievable. It actually, you know, uh, there's, there's a greater conversation to be had about stuff like that, but I'll, I'll save that one for today. Okay. So you're, you're what you're excited for the chiefs. You know, you've still got friends on that team. Um, they're facing the Niners, which is just so strange. Like, a lot of it is, like, there's a lot of players that are still left over from that Niners team. Um, but how different is this group? Like, when you're looking at the Niners this time around and the Chiefs this time around, where do you, where do you see, like, the major difference? Well, I think when you look at the Chiefs, uh, the defense has improved quite a bit. Like, they're probably having one of their best uh, year with a really talented young group out there. And when you look at the offense, uh, I feel like, you know, we don't have the, uh, the Tyreek Hills anymore mm-hmm. uh, that are able to expand the coverage and open, like, windows for, for Trav and that kind of stuff. So I think they're going to have to rely a little more on the run game, to be honest. Uh, but, I mean, what they've been able to do in the last two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl, it's, it's pretty spectacular. Like, I feel like everything is in sync now. Uh, Coach Reed has been able to work on the thing that – they, they had to work on and they improve a lot when it comes to like targeting different receiver and opening mm-hmm. windows for Travis Kelsey. Cause I mean, if Travis is the only target, they're going to bracket and double him the whole game. And it's going to be hard for him to like catch anything. But if they're able to show that other player are potential threats, uh, then it's going to open up a lot of things. And if they're able to open the run game as well against a really good D line, I think that's going to be a major key to the, to the game. Of course, I'm biased. Like the, mm-hmm. the trenches are always important for me, but especially this week, you know, I remember the Super Bowl in 2020. Uh, there's still, uh, they still have a lot of the same guys on the defensive line, and I feel like it's kind of their recipe on the 49ers side to just 
draft first round pick, put them on the D line and stack up talent and see what happened. And they have really, really, really good D line out there. Yeah. Um, it's a bit of a shame that the chiefs won't have their fully healthy. Uh, yeah. Pro bowl guard, Joe Tooney in this game. He's dealt with a pec injury. Um, and it seems like Andy Reid's being pretty cautious, but no, I, I agree with you. Of course it's going to, it's good. Can you protect Patrick Mahomes? Um, are they going to be able to keep Brock Purdy upright? How is Chris Jones going to impact this game? Like, I, I don't think that's being biased. Like that's just, that's just football. That's the, that's kind of our expectation with this thing. Um, I, I'm very curious about the, the pressure angle of this though, because part of me looks at Purdy and says, and the Niners and goes, man, if Shanahan loses, that's, that's three Super Bowls he's lost. And I know one's as an OC, but it's the most famous Super Bowl loss ever, right? It's 28 to three and his offense was a part of it. And all of a sudden you're looking at it and it's like, oh, and three, damn, that feels bad. Niners, a lot of their guys have been, or a bunch of their guys have been there before, but you know, they're not Super Bowl champions. This isn't, maybe they are able to, maybe the pressure of not being there or the inexperience of winning this thing does affect them. But I, I keep looking at the Chiefs side and saying, Maybe there's more pressure on them than we're giving it credit, which is they're, they've, they've got a massive legacy play here. Like Mahomes to have three Super Bowls in his first six seasons as a starter. For Reed to basically be able to cement himself as one of the greatest coaches of all time. For Travis Kelsey to essentially be able to put himself down as like, I'm the best tight end ever. There's just getting that third clearly means just a, a way different echelon for the Chiefs. And I wonder how you think they're going to handle that and how they've been handling that over the last two weeks. You know what? I feel like some players, some teams are really good at performing when they have a target on their back. Other mm -hmm. teams perform well when they're underdogs. I feel like I've been, while I was in Kansas City, I've been a part of like two different teams, like a team that was an underdog that was trying to perform, that was trying to beat the Denver Broncos, that was trying to beat the New England Patriots, and we did. And after that, the mindset switched, and we became a team that had a target on our back. And I feel like, that that's the kind of mentality that Coach Reed brought and Patrick Mahomes brought to this team and the character. You know, I feel like it's because of that that we were able to come back from large deficits uh, in the games leading up to the Super Bowl in 2020. And I feel like that's why they're, they're, they're there right now this year, even though they don't have all the talent in the world, uh, apart from like three really great players in Chris Jones, Tra uh, Travis Kelsey, and Patrick Mahomes. So, I feel like it's no um, no news. It's not new for for the Chiefs to have to perform in that type of environment. And I feel like for the 49ers, you're right. Like maybe it's a team that is going to show up, especially with a young quarterback with a mindset of like underdog trying to win this thing. The big question is what is going to happen when we're going to see those momentum switch? Because a game of football is not a linear event. Like there's always highs and lows, and it's how you you know, make, make, like correct the little mistake and come back into the game as quickly as possible. And for me, like, that's what I'm going to be interested in is to look at how the 49ers are going to be able to come back in the game by making a big play when, when the momentum is going to switch towards the Chiefs. And I feel like if they start to have any sort of doubt, it's going to be really, really hard for them to stay in the game. Hmm. You know, can you say that about the Chiefs though, too, to a degree, just because of, of this, like during the regular season this year, one of the reasons why I thought this was going to be different, um, and I mean that in a in a negative sense, was it wasn't just the lack of playmaking at times that the Chiefs are getting or the drop footballs. It was the frustration that they were showing at times. Um, I remember the Denver yeah. game specifically where Mahomes just looked rattled and pissed off. And what was the game where he reacted afterwards about the – it was the Bills – I think it was the Bills game where it was the toe um, – 
Like over the line it was the yeah, he started t- complaining. Yeah yeah, 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 and he and he like lost and he went to the press. I went, man, I, I haven't really seen this Mahomes before. Like, and I know he's had so much success, but the composure has always been there with this player. He's always handled the limelight extremely well, and he's like the consummate sort of pro. And then this year, the the I, I don't want to say the dysfunction because that feels too strong, but the frustrations of the group they seem to boil over in a way that hadn't in years past. And I wonder if they get hit in the mouth or if they're behind in this game, whether there's going to be any doubts about, yeah, the way that they're going to be able to handle that, given some of the stuff that we saw in the regular season this year versus years past. You know what? It's a good point. I feel like over the last, you know, six years, uh, they always had that mentality of like, no matter what, we're going to find a way. And we have the confidence to come back in any type of, from any type of situation. And maybe that's a little different this year. You're right. Uh, I don't know. That's going to be an interesting one. For, for me, it's not going to be about it's not going to be about talent. It's going to not going to be about play calling. It's going to be about pure uh, mindset and character and finding a way to come out of lows in order to, you know, make the big plays and, and find a way to come out on, on top. So speaking of like the momentum and the big plays and just like yeah that that mental side of things. How important, because I've been kicking around this theory recently, especially watching the last couple weeks where Kelsey has been back to playoff Kelsey. And you mentioned, hey, the other guy's got to make plays because uh, if they just double him and beat him up all game, it's, it's going to be tough for the, yeah, the Chiefs to win this one. But how important is he psychologically to this group or just from the momentum? Because it feels like the Chiefs are such a more physical and imposing football team when he's catching the ball, he's making runs after the catch, and he's starting to point and jaw in the other team's face. Yeah, no, you're right. And, and that's why I love Trav. Uh, he's the kind of guy you want to play with, you know. And, and there's people that, you know, draw energy from other players, and there's people that just give energy no matter the mindset, no matter the situation. And I feel that's uh, that's 100% Trav, you know. And, and he's the kind of guy who can lead the offense. And, you know, he's not the type of guy who's going to, you know, he's not the Patrick Mahomes who's going to, like, spit out the play uh, every every play. And he's not going to be the one directing traffic, but – He's the one that is able to lead this offense by the way he plays, by the mindset, by the way he's able to also just show his enthusiasm to uh, the game, you know, and that's what that's what you want. You want a, a team that play with character but also enjoy playing because that's a, that's really a big factor to uh, uh, remove the morale from the, the, your opponent is to just show that you – you play and you have fun out there. And, and I think, you know, Coach Reed would always say before games, like, just let your personality show. And I feel like if Travis is able to do that, he's going to rally the whole team behind him. It seems like his personality is very genuine. Really genuine. You're right. And, and I mean, I, I like, it's little things, but it's things that you cannot really prepare for. You know, after uh, the AFC Championship, when he won, like, the most, like, catch and, and playoff or postseason was to shout out the guy before him you know and, and it was on the spot it was so genuine like he's just he's just that type of guy like who's always giving the credit to other people and funny and uh, I think he's, he's he's like a like he's the definition of a great leader to me and, and I really enjoy playing with him he's actually the first guy that I met in Kansas City when I landed in Kansas City at MCI airport he was there waiting for his luggage and he was like are, are you the French Canadian that we just drafted yesterday and I was like yeah and that's the first guy that and he's been he's been the same way for the past uh, you know ten years, and it's a big tribute to him because a lot of things that's changed in his in his personal life as well. He said French Canadian. He knew that right away. 
I don't know if you said French Canadian, maybe <laughs> just Canadian. Okay, no, because I was going to say. The minute he heard me speak, no, but yeah. he, said, he said French Canadian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, because I was going to say, that's really, oh, and I wouldn't have put that on him to know, you know, regionalities of Canada. But here we go. I was going to say, do you remember the questions that he started asking you about Canada? Because I'm guessing that's the, the icebreaker. Yeah. Big, big. He's a big hockey fan. Okay. He knows a lot about hockey. Yeah. He's actually a good hockey player himself. So uh, we we talk a little bit about hockey. But no, just a just a great dude that you want to hang out with, and he's able to perform, and he want to make those plays. He wants to be great in those critical situations, those critical moments, and that's uh, that's that's all you need. And yeah. and, and I feel that's why uh, they're going to be a tough team to beat this weekend. Yeah, it's just it's funny the the Canadian thing because I was talking about this on my show yesterday with a friend about how when Americans they sign with like the Toronto Blue Jays, right? Or that there's rumors that it's always the same things where they're like they really like hockey, and a lot of us here are like that's cool. <laughs> like that guy don't we don't care. <laughs> you know, we have other interests outside of just hockey. I just think it's like I wonder how many times you got that conversation over your career where guys wanted to just break the ice with you, and they're like so hockey, huh? You're like ah, yeah, it's good. I like it. <laughs> you know, I got. Can we talk about something else? Yeah, now? <laughs> yeah, but it's just like, the amount of I, I like imagine if there was just a slideshow of times in your life or throughout your career where someone met you and was like, what do you think about hockey? And you're like, yeah, okay, uh, what are we going to get into? And people say they're a big fan, right? And I'm sure they do like, oh, I'm a big hockey fan. You go, oh, yeah? and they, But they're a big hockey fan in the States, right? Like they're a big hockey fan where they're from, which means that they know it exists. <laughs> like they're aware uh, yeah, that they're aware that there is like a hockey team somewhere close to them. Like I watched, I saw a clip of JJ Watt on uh, McAvee show yesterday and he was talking, they asked uh-huh. him who he was a fan of. And he was like, well, I grew up in Wisconsin. And so I liked uh, the Blackhawks and the Red Wings. And I was like, that's not a thing. Like that's not, you know, but that's what, you know, it's like he, he loved both those teams. He's like, I went back and forth. I was like, oh, okay. So you're not a hockey fan. Like you played some, but you didn't really care. And it's, that's the way it is. And he's like the face of hockey fandom for the NFL. So that's sort of where it's at anyway. <laughs> uh, that's funny. And it's kind of the same thing, you know, uh, living in Kansas city for nine years. Now yeah. the question when I meet people from Kansas city is like, oh, uh, which spot is your favorite barbecue. favorite barbecue spot? Yeah, like what barbecue. kind of barbecue do you yeah. like? And you're like, okay, so now we can talk about hockey and barbecue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, actually, no, this is good. This is good. Tell me something about Kansas City that if I meet somebody from Kansas City, I can bring up other than barbecue or the sport team, right? Like I, cause obviously I could bring up the chiefs or be like, Oh, he's signed Bobby Witt jr. I work in sports, but give me something. That's a Kansas city thing that I would talk about with them. Like, is that, do they have like a housing crisis there? Like is the cost of living there really high right now? Give me something that's Kansas city deep cut. Uh, maybe talk about the difference. Like to me, like there's a line call that there's a road called state line that divided Kansas city between Kansas city, Missouri and Kansas, okay. city, uh, uh, Kansas. And to talk about the difference uh, between the, you know, and demographic and everything is pretty fascinating to me. Uh, so you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, except for you just set me up because you were like, it's a fascinating difference. And then I would say that and they'd be like, how so? And I would go, it just is to me. <laughs> it's very, I just think it's very fast. And then I got to walk up, put my hands in my pocket or look at my phone and say, oh, I'm oh, sorry, I'm, I'm getting a call. Uh, I could walk away. But I'll have that. I'll have that moment. Maybe I'll leave them with something a little bit more. Um, okay, so. Talk about talk about the, the car auction or, or the there rodeo. We go. Or See, that's the, better. Now, yeah, now yeah, we're yeah, talking. Yeah. Now we're talking. Yeah. Absolutely. Like that's I'm not a big uh, you know gun guy, but like 
they have gun shows every week. That's to me, that's crazy. But it's the yeah. one like you gotta attend that at least once in your life. Of course, uh, so yeah, a couple like really Midwest things. Yeah, listen, I'm from Northwest Canada. It's like I, I could get behind a gun show. All right, I could, I could get to one. I'm not a huge gun guy myself, but I could definitely see myself going to one and being like, this is pretty cool. Um, okay, so <laughs> back to the actual game. Um, you talked about hey Reed and the play calling and. Um, Mahomes having that ability to make the read at the line. How much of the uh, – we've always heard that read, and we saw this in the Baltimore game too, where the idea is that the very beginning of the game for the Chiefs is always scripted, scripted, scripted. How how real is that in a game like this, right? Like how much is Mahomes going to change at the line? How much does this Chief offense know what they're going to do for the first series or two? Uh, I mean, Coach Reed is pretty uh, consistent about that. Like every night before the game, he's going to install the first 15 plays of the game. Mm-hmm. And uh, – that that's kind of a list that your name's on it, and you do not lose that sheet of paper because it happens <laughs> in the course of his career that yeah. the sheet that player lost his sheet and ended up in the wrong people's hands. So, but like those those fifteen Ooh. plays are are pretty scripted, and uh, of course, like there's tweaks tweaks uh, here and there, or like plays that can be killed to another play, or or plays that are run pass options. Uh, but at the end of the day, like the the tempo of the game is pretty scripted initially, and uh, of course, apart from the the, the third downs, uh, where like he's gonna mm-hmm. pick like plays that are like good for like six to eight yards or all four to six yards or whatever. But uh, the first fifteen regular play of the game are usually scripted, and it it, it helps as, as a player because you can prepare. Like you, mm-hmm. you you know the first play of the game, you know what are the different possibility, you know what the, what's the weakness of that play, what you have to look for in terms of defensive structure, what call can you make, and then you just go over those plays like before going to bed in the morning of, and it just, for me, it was a big, uh, it helped me cope better with the, the pressure of those, those full, full, like first few drives where you don't mm-hmm. necessarily know what to expect, but at least you know what you're going to be doing. Mm-hmm. But with that, like with, with those scripted plays, when do, you, when do you get them? Like you said before the game, but for a Super Bowl, are you getting those further in advance? Like, does that happen no. earlier or that still happens, ends up being like a last minute night before thing? Well, football, you know, football, you play every Sunday, 90% yeah. of the time. And, and, and everything is about preparation and finding that routine. So Coach Reed is pretty big on that. So no matter like where you play, what you do, like every Wednesday, you do the same thing. Thursday, you do the same thing. You install the same plays, same situation. You watch the same film. Uh, you practice the same way. And then we traveled every Saturday and we get to the hotel in the, in the city we're playing at or in Kansas city at five thirty local time, we eat the same thing. We do the same meeting at seven thirty. We go to bed at the same time and we wake up, we get to the stadium three and a half hours before the game. And it's the same routine, the same stuff. And, and it helped to be honest, to start the game in your mind the night before, I really helped cope with the pressure of like, you know, the, the national anthem and the jets flying over the stadium and, and the you know, the coin toss, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, the, the the plays are for sure going to be installed, uh, you know, Saturday night, um, and people are going to going to bed with those and and thinking about that and showing up to the game ready ready to roll. So with the routine stuff, everyone always makes a big deal uh, during the Super Bowl about how much longer the halftime is. Is that real? Like, is that an actual thing that you had a, a difficulty with adjusting? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, big time. Because everything like you, you want to stay like on eye alert, even though it's halftime, you know. And, yeah. and the, the usual halftime is what, like twelve minutes, thirteen minutes. So, so you you by the time you you go into the locker room, you go to the bathroom, you grab a little bite, uh, you just like line up those meetings between the O line, the offensive coordinator, and the whole you know the whole team, and then you're back on the field, and it's like mm-hmm. go go go. 
but when you add 10 minutes inside the locker room, it's it's huge. It, it, it more than double the actual time you're usually spending in a locker room. So, uh, but Coach Reed was great about that. Like I remember in Miami, we practiced those halftime drink practices. So it was like, okay, now we're going to sit on the bench for like X amount of time. And he would give us like the schedule and the breakdown. And we had like the trainers doing like little workouts during halftime and that kind of stuff. And especially for us, because we, as an offense, we, we didn't finish with the ball in the, in the second quarter and we didn't start with the ball in the third quarter. So um, we were, I think it was more than an hour between, you know, the last play of the second quarter and the first play of the, of the first quarter for, for us as an offense. So it's, mm. uh, it's huge. It makes a huge difference. Yeah. So I'm gathering that Reed is just an unbelievably meticulous guy. Oh, he is. He is. Yeah, Coach Reed would always, like, there's not a single time where I show up in the building in the morning and he was not already parked in the parking lot and there's not a single time where I left the building that he was not still there watching film. Like, it's uh, it's really impressive. And that's that's why he's a great leader because he lead by example mm-hmm. and uh, he's really meticulous about everything that he does. Yeah. Again, it makes this matchup so interesting with these two coaches because it, it does feel like Reed is that guy. He is that play caller. He does have the resume, and it feels like Kyle Shanahan is the one that wants that resume. You know, is the is the offensive coach, is the play caller that if things go a little bit differently in his, for him in a couple of different situations, he's viewed, yeah, just in a very, very different light. And he's been on that cusp, and he's he's had those chances, and he's it, like, he really wants what Reed has already got. All right, last one. Um, what is, like, you, you talk about leaders and preparation and, I'm sure it's a lot of glowing things that you have to say about Patrick Mahomes, but there's got to be a certain level of just extra pressure when you're the ones blocking for him. You know, you're the ones keeping him upright and not hurt. And like every time you look back and there's someone on top of him or someone that's hit him knowing like you might be famous now for hurting the greatest quarterback potentially ever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and you yeah. said it just right. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, like, and and, and that, that 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 thought started to occur to me after the Denver game. I don't know which year it was. I think it was maybe 2017, 2018. Yeah. Uh, when Pat uh, dislocated his uh, his knee or his patella. Right. And it happened like on the third third and one. And it's like, whose fault is it? Because like everybody's in the pile trying to push it and <laughs> yeah. he's behind. And that that's when Coach Reed stopped doing like going uh, for QB sneak on, on third and one. It's mm-hmm. because it was such a traumatic event for the whole team because it was like, what's going on? And Pat was like, just yelling like, it's out, it's out. What are you talking about? Is like fumble or what? And it was about his knee. And mm. as, so, and, and at that point, uh, I must say like, you, you start thinking about that. It's like, okay, well, and you don't want to think about it too much because you want to do your job and, and, that's the thing with the, the 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 fine line and what makes a great offensive line and if somebody was able to uh, block somebody running backwards in a pass protection uh, mindset, but still being the aggressor. So you don't want to be like passive. You don't want to react to what's uh, what's in front of you. You still want to dictate the rush. You want to dictate the move, but while you're running backwards. So that's a, mm. it's not an easy thing to do. But when you're able to do that and you play with confidence, that's when you're able to disrupt your the pass rusher you're going against. So. You don't, want to, you don't want to think too much about Pat being behind you. And anyway, Pat is like probably the best at it, extending the play. So sometimes yeah. you're like, you get you get beat clean, but it ends up being like a, a third down conversion for like 20-something yards. So uh, you never know. You never know. So you just try to do your best. And uh, and Pat is not the type of guy who's going to, you know, yell at his old line either. He's always like positive. So that's that's good because um, it's it's way easier to take risk and, and to protect for a great quarterback when he um, when he's grateful 
uh, about the work that you do. Yeah, he doesn't yell at his O-linemen. He just, when his receivers drop passes now, he does the two hands on the helmet where he's like, I can't believe he dropped that. <laughs> his two hands. Yeah, but the thing, yeah. the good thing is that you see that when you watch the game because yeah. they have like a camera focus on him. But sure. the reality is that you don't, you know, by the time the, the wide receiver is coming back to the huddle, like it's all, it's all positive and it's next play. And, and you know, I feel like we're, we're, we're showing up a little more, too much of the nonverbal negative stuff mm. is the reality is that during the course of the game, that's not really what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. At least that's not what I was feeling. Yeah. Well, I would imagine that one of the guys who yeah, is on the verge of going to win a third straight Super Bowl or has a chance to do that is someone that inspires confidence in his teammates and doesn't drag them down. <laughs> it's not a poisoning force. I, I would just guess that the guy who, yeah, what is it now? Uh, six AFC championship games every single season that he's been a starter, just played his first road playoff yep. game like that. Yeah. His leadership is, is probably also meshing with the talent. Yep. No, yeah. no doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Hey, Hey man. Uh, always a pleasure to have you on, uh, again, like, uh, an honor. You're, uh, yeah. The guy that Canada's very, 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 very proud of. Uh, and I appreciate you making time, especially ahead of your birthday. Happy birthday to you. Thank you so much. Uh, enjoy the Super Bowl this weekend, man. For sure. You too, buddy. Uh, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, uh, Super Bowl champion with the Chiefs. Uh, and, of course, now a doctor. Left the game uh, to pursue a career in medicine. Pretty cool stuff. Anyway, um, yeah, I can't wait to meet someone from Kansas City and discuss the state line between Kansas City and Kansas <laughs> No chance. <laughs> the demographics. <laughs> no, here's what I'll take away from that. It's, I meet somebody from Kansas City, you bet your ass I'm going. You going to a gun show this week? <laughs> that's the line. You, see, you go to the gun? Hey, how was a gun show this week? Barbecue, guns, yeah. and cars. No, but barbecue's out. That's what I'm saying. Barbecue to them is like when we, they bring up hockey to us. It's the same thing. They're like, oh, Kansas City barbecue. It's, just, it's, it's played out. It's the same thing. That's it. I, try to be the change you want to see in the world is what I'm saying. You don't like it when everyone references, oh, Canada? Y'all like hockey? Yeah, we like hockey. I hate how much I like hockey because I'm just a, you know, I love hockey. Poster child. I can't, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can't escape it. I can't escape it. So, and, and I'm a bit of a contrarian by nature. So my natural inclination would be like, yeah, it's fine. That's fine. When someone from the States that I do meet, though, actually really likes hockey and it's a surprise to me and they... Like I remember last time when I was in uh, when I was in Miami, I met a big Panthers fan, and he was like talking to me about the like he knew way more about the Panthers than I did, and I went, "This is actually kind of cool because I'm you know you're you're teaching me something about your team that I don't know and a, a perspective that I don't get very often." But the just oh, you like hockey? Yeah, it's such a cool sport, so intense. The beards, you know, like yeah, yeah. All right, next thing, next thing, please, please. Anyway, bit uh, of a woge bomb. I don't know if you want to get to it now or after the break. No, no, immediate. Is it? Is it actually breaking news? We went over this. Is it a report <laughs> or is it breaking news? It's breaking. I would say it's breaking. Yeah. Okay. Adrian Wojnarowski is reporting that the Indiana Pacers are trading Buddy Hield to the Philadelphia 76ers for Marcus Morris, Furkan Korkmaz, and three second-round picks. Sources tell ESPN. Huh. It's an interesting trade because. I don't know if I view the Pacers necessarily as. Like they didn't get better with this, but building towards the future, uh, I guess. Here's the thing, though. They 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 add a little depth to their team, which already is pretty deep, though. Um, 
healed clearly wasn't going to be a big part of the picture. A lot of people thought that he was going to be on the move anyway. I like the trade, obviously, for the Sixers. Like, adding more shooting to that team is not a bad thing. And that is the... Korkmaz is one out of there for the entire time he's been... Like, he hates it there. So, fine. That's nothing. Morris is a little interesting because he's a Philly guy. And he... He seems to have a real impact on every group he's every team he's on in terms of the way that he carries himself and the respect that he carries within the locker room. And so shuttling him out and having him leave Philly is kind of curious. I, but even still, you absolutely have to do it for that price. I'm just, I'm a little, I'm a little confused as to what the pay, like I guess three second round picks is a lot of second round picks. I guess that's it. I, I still have to get used to the reality that accumulating that many seconds is worth something. And it's, it actually has real value because my brain is still tuned to who cares about second round picks. And I don't care about Draymond and Jokic. And I know players come from there. I'm just saying the value of which either way. Yeah. It's a tidy piece of business. You get three first or three seconds. You replenish the cupboards a little bit because you did just lose three picks. That's the, that's the part of it. You just lost three picks in the Siakam trade. And now you're gaining three picks, granted lesser ones, but still three picks for Buddy Heald. So tidy piece for both. Yeah, and Pacers are just like, Jairus Walker's probably going to get more minutes. Yeah, like, for sure he is. Build them up. Yeah. Matherin kind of needs to find his way with Siakam there. There's another Woj bomb. Okay. This is less, oh, actually, the Toronto Raptors. Oh. Justin, Adrian Wojnowski is reporting the Utah Jazz are finalizing a trade to send Kelly Olynyk and guard Ochai Agbaji to the Toronto Raptors for Kyra Lewis, Otto Porter, and a 2024 first-round pick. So Raptors gave up first. Uh Uh-huh. Which one? The first-round pick will be the least favorable of the OKC Clippers Rockets Jazz pick in 2024, according to Woj. Agbaji was interesting at Kansas. Another Canadian on the squad. Yeah, I like... I'm really trying to build the the Team Canada. Um, <laughs> obviously, Olenek is a good player. What's what's Olenek's contract? Because that that's a big... I saw this rumor yesterday, and I went, all right, like, here's what I will tell you. I really don't mind the Raptors getting a bit better and pushing to not have that pick in this year's draft and to, to win some freaking basketball games. And this absolutely unequivocally helps them do that, right? Like they didn't lose anything and they just gained two potential rotation players. Um, Well, not two potential, two absolute without a doubt rotation players. Um, I'm curious what Kelly's term is on his deal. Do you have it? He's an unrestricted free agent this summer. Yeah, that's that's what I thought. He's making about 12 million a Uh year. He's a good player. I'm surprised that a contender wasn't more interested in Kelly Olenek. Uh, I, I would imagine that this isn't a reroute scenario. It's going to be, I, I hate, this is a strange thing to say, given he's a Canadian. It's going to be weird to see him in the Raptors uniform, given that he has been one of the faces of Canada basketball for a very long time. Like with RJ, it almost fe- felt meant to be like, it really did. He just came here and it was like, RJ is meant to be here with Kelly. It almost feels weird because uh, yeah, the, the, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. I know that's my job is to explain it. But it does feel odd to me. It will feel weird to me seeing Kelly Olenek in a Raptors uniform. And I am a big Kelly Olenek fan. Like, there's there's not many things about Kelly Olenek I don't like. From the person 
It's a great guy. I've had the chance to talk to him a couple of times. Really has a strong sense of things. It's like well, you get it when you talk to Laurent Duvernay Tardif there, right? It's, it's just a guy who gets it. Kelly Olenek absolutely unequivocally gets it. He has been time and time again. He has showed up for Team Canada. He's a gamer. Um, he's a real like tough competitor. Good shooter, smart playmaker, guy who can you know play off the ball, but also in some good pick and roll, pick and pop situations with the team. I think he'll be good for Scotty Barnes. Actually, we have a stretch big. Yeah, like oh. it's a nice. That's a nice piece of business for the Raps. I just my only thing would be, and it remains that is what what are you doing with uh, his contract moving forward? What is his What does his contract look like? I I will tell you this. This is a, another strange thing too about dealing for Canadians like the RJ part of the trade is. I don't think the Raptors are doing that by force. That's just a byproduct of having so many good Canadians in the NBA now that this is just a thing that's going to end up happening. There's Canadians everywhere to the point where, you know, used to be that you would point out a Canadian once in a blue moon and say that like we were not that far removed from Joel Anthony being a premier Canadian basketball player where you would go, look, Canadian, he's the guy missing bunnies that LeBron gives him around the basket. That's him. Uh... There's just so many Canadians that I don't feel as though this is forced. But I do think it's a cool thing to bring him to Canada. And hopefully it materializes. I don't think in maybe... The the, the thing with him is why would he take a discount or anything to be on a team that's likely not going to win over the next couple of years? He did... He went, you know... He's played on some bad teams. Pistons. Most... Remember, like, this Jazz team was kind of supposed to be bad. It's bounced around a little bit. Yeah. I like the trade. I don't, I don't mind giving up that first round pick. Let's put it that way. Um, the interesting one is what they think that they have in Agbaji because I want to say he was the end of a lottery pick. Like he was at the very back end of the lottery. And now this will be his third team because he originally started in Cleveland. He was a part of the Donovan Mitchell trade. And a guy that on a deep, a sneaky deep Utah team didn't get a ton of burn, like didn't get a, a, a ton of playing time, just was someone who was sort of buried and a bit of a tweener, but clearly has talent, clearly like great athlete, um, but hasn't really had a defining feature to his game so far. He... He had a pretty good season last year, and then he ended up having, like, this year I was kind of, like, when I tune into jazz games, I've I've rarely seen him even play. And granted, I'm not watching the jazz every single night, but I don't think that he's much of a factor on their team this year. I, I'd be curious to find out from some people beyond just dudes like, again, they ended up with a lot of team, or a lot of players on Utah. They had too many guys. It didn't end up being the best place for him to develop because it was, you know, Taylor Horton Tucker's in front of him, and... Colin Sexton's in front of him. And yeah, exactly. Contia George gets drafted and they've got Carl, like they, they've just got so many Jordan Clarkson's in front of him. So they just had a lot of pieces. So now he'll get an opportunity to actually show what he can be a little bit, hopefully here in Toronto. But yes, I would guess that like, look at it this way. If you're a Raptors fan, you get Kelly Olenek for this year and potentially moving forward and get to see how he fits with some of the players on the team. And you've taken a first round back-end lottery pick. Blake Murphy likes to call them redraft candidates. 
you've done a redraft candidate who is 22, 23, 23 years old. She's 22 or 23? 23. Okay, he's 23. Nick was holding up two, so <laughs> I was very confused. Uh, okay, yeah, he's 23 years old. He was the 14th overall pick in his draft a couple of years ago. You, you swap out a late first-round pick in a draft where you might end up already having three picks. It also, by the way, uh, should said two. By moving out that first this year to get him and to get Kelly O, it also gives you a little bit more flexibility if you're going to trade Bruce Brown now in acquiring a pick in this year's draft so that you don't have an absurd amount of draft picks and you lose a player that is impacting winning or at least is conducive to playing good basketball and you bring in a guy in Kelly Olenek who can service that role of spread the floor, move the ball, good culture fit, good buy-in guy, not going to cause any waves or disruptions. I like the trade for the Raps. I think this is a good trade. It's not like this is not an earth-shattering move. This is not something, oh, whoa, this trade, but it's a good move. And I'm excited. I'm genuinely excited to see Kelly Olenek play for the Raps. I'm going on Monday and Kelly O versus Wemby is the way I'm seeing this now. It's Wemby. It's Kelly O. It's Raptors basketball on a Monday night. Uh, All right, let's take a quick break and let's round out the show. Let's close the sucker out. Uh, Before I do that, of course, the iconic Coors Light Chill Train is heading to Las Vegas for the big game, and it just made its stop in Toronto, leaving behind a trail of epic prizes. On February 8th and 9th from 8 a.m. to 7 p.m., look for its frozen tracks at Young and Dundas for a chance to win instant prizes that deliver big game chills or the ultimate grand prize, a trip, to next year's big game event. Uh, to learn more, go to CoorsLight.ca backslash The Chill Train. All right, quick break, and then we'll hit what we missed. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. You know, uh, just to close my thoughts on the Raptors trade, this is my final thought on this until tomorrow when I talk about it a little bit more with Blake Murphy, who's going to sit in studio, and we're going to go through all the... Once the dust settles... What do you sift through? Whatever the, that is. The minutia? I didn't need that from you. <laughs> Here's the thing. When I'm searching, I don't need more guesses. I just need good information. I need good intel, okay? I don't need more guesswork from the peanut gallery. That is... That's, that, that's a certainty. Anyways, what I like about this trade... I don't care who the I don't care who Utah takes with this pick, whatever it ends up being, because the Raptors would have had an opportunity to take that player ahead of their pick. This isn't this isn't the Christian Coloco situation with also the Utah Jazz, which ended up with where they get Walker Kessler, right? Because he didn't have a chance to take Walker Kessler. This one's fine because you have a pick in front of this pick and it's a yeah. Who cares? Even if you nail your pick and they get somebody else good, it doesn't matter. You had the opportunity to take that guy. What I like about this trade is that I'm telling you that Agbaji kid has had flashes. When I watched him at Kansas, he was absolutely a guy where I went, who is that dude? That guy looks good. And when he went to 14 in the draft, I remember thinking that might be low for him. Not, whoa, that guy got taken there. So now you got the Kansas connection of him and Grady Dick. Uh, But what I like about it is not that he went to the same university as uh, as Grady Dick. It's that this has old Maasai potential, okay? This has a little 
dust of old Maasai where there's a chance that this guy is good. There's a chance that you stole this guy. There's a chance because you got Kelly O and he, like I said, he helps you this year and it's good because I would rather play good basketball if I'm the Toronto Raptors. And it's, it's pretty clear that that's the way that they develop. Okay. They, they don't want to tank. And I understand a lot of you still believe that they should be trying to lose basketball games this year. They should not. They, they, they don't need to try to do that. They already suck. Okay. Did you see Scotty Barnes is shy yesterday? His three that would have thought backboard. It's like, that's their number one score. I'm sorry. I couldn't help myself. I, it was so bad. I thought that they should have taken him out of the all-star game. I went, you can't be in the all-star game if that. I was like, that's what I would expect if Manute Bull shot a three, you know, like that's not acceptable behavior. Anyway, um, it just has a little bit of old Maasai. Take a shot. Take a shot on a guy who clearly has talent. Why he hasn't been able to make good on the athleticism, the ability, the the flashes. I don't know. I don't know enough about him. Again, he's probably the 10th guy on the Utah Jazz. So I'm not fully aware of everything going on with Ogbaji, but I'm just telling you the parts that I do remember as someone who follows the league and as someone who, uh, yeah, saw a good chunk of him in college. Uh, there's upside. It's, a, it's definitely an upside trade. It's more than just, hey, Canada. Hey, we got a Canadian guy. Uh, okay. Uh, we're really running out of time here. Really run out of time here. All right. Let's explain this. Okay. So let's do what we missed. Let's do the CTC story because you have some kind of hot take. You're trying to get off your chest, Armin. I can't wait. Can't wait. We're all waiting. We were waiting with bated breath. I didn't say it was hot, but anyways, um, the TTC on February 26th is rolling out um, a one fair program. So basically anywhere you are in the GTA, if you're coming into the city and you're leaving back, you only pay one fair. Now the thing is you pay the highest fair that year you would pay. So like if you're paying for the go and then you're coming into the city, you're not going to pay the TTC fare. They're going to charge you the most they possibly can, but at least you don't get charged multiple times. No, but there's also a thing where it's like you buy, you go on the TTC and it's like you get four hours where you can just go back and forth. Yeah. That's a two hour transfer window. They have That's separate. This is for like, but now I thought it was moving to four hours, a four hour. Tra- oh no, it's only a two hour transfer window. No, that's not going to change. That's if it's just, if you're, if you want to leave and use the go or you want to use YRT or you want to use Durham region transit, that's, that's what really what it's for. It's for the people in the GTA not living in Toronto, which sometimes getting to my take is like i don't know if i get like the big head city ignorant kind of vibe but it's like at first when i read the news i was like well how does this help me i'm paying more than everyone else who's coming to the city i live in the city i'm paying more property tax i'm paying more for everything so it's just like it was a bit selfish take it was just like oh this doesn't help me at all no but it will because one is you're hoping that there is that the goal of this is to get more people to ride transit which helps with decongestion, which is good for everybody, okay? The more people taking transit, the better. The better we build out the transit system, the better. It does, we, we already know that expanding highways doesn't work. It doesn't, it's, it's, it's not the solution. It's not more roads, okay? It's not more roads, not more traffic. It's not. It's, it's, the solutions are absolutely with public transit. So the more that you funnel towards that, the more you make that a, a focus of your attention, the better it is for the city, without a doubt, like... There are going to be some projects for whatever they can take forever to accomplish or some of them get screwed up. But yes, the solution is still... God, they've made so many mistakes here. But either way, uh, 
I, I think that that is that is better for everybody. And no, it's not gonna. You're not gonna incur the cost of this as a as a citizen who lives here. Like that's not gonna. The, those are not gonna be passed on to you through this. That's not the way that this is going to end up working. We got to go. I going with do. your theme, though, would you want people who are driving cars into the city to get pay tolls, like a toll route, like New York City does? I mean, I, I, because that'll help too. Yeah, I live, I live here, so yes. But if I live there, I would say no. Um, that's the way I feel about it. Anyways, before we go, uh, the iconic Coors, Coors Light, Coors Light Chill Train is heading to Las Vegas for the big game, and it just made a stop in Toronto, leaving behind a trail of epic prizes. On February 8th and 9th from 8 a.m. to 7 p.m., look for its frozen tracks at Young and Dundas for a chance to win instant prizes that deliver big game chills or the ultimate grand prize, a trip to next year's big game event. Learn more at the Coors Light Chill Train. Uh, see you tomorrow.